to believe and remember You said it's finished, it is done And by your blood we've overcome We will ever trust in you And remember, oh we remember And we will not forget is in you, Lord, and we will sing of all you've done, and remember, oh, we'll remember, and we will not forget, you are always with us, we will not forget, you are always for us, we will not forget, we will not forget you, God. You gave us freedom, we were nothing more than slaves. You kept your promise and delivered us from chains. You split the waters and your mercy was displayed. We remember, we remember. You came to rescue, we were lost and gone astray. You died our death, our sin was buried in the grave. You rose to life, and you rolled the stone away. Oh, we remember, we remember, we remember, yes, we remember. And we will not forget, you are always with us. We will not forget, you are always for us. We will not forget. We will not forget you, and we will not forget you are always with us. We will not forget you are always for us. We will not forget, we will not forget you, God. Amen. Let's you guys get up on your feet. Good morning. Find somebody, tell them that. Good morning.
Good morning, everybody. What a crazy week. I didn't think there was winter in Texas. Boy, was I wrong. We could use a little sunshine, dear Lord. Amen. That, that's the biggest amen you've ever gotten. Getting? Now I'm texting. <laughs> Would you take your worship guides and open them? I'm going to highlight a few things. We're so glad you're here this morning. I know we have some visitors with us today, and uh, we want to give you a very special welcome. We're glad you're here, and uh, we hope that uh, for whatever reason the Lord brought you in, you're encouraged spiritually, and you feel like people care about you, because uh, we do. Uh, but at the end of this morning, we want to make it clear that as much as we, we want you to like us, what we, what we really want is for you to fall in love with Jesus and know that he loves you. And uh, we are right now in, uh, I want to say the middle, but it's not the middle. We are uh, in the first quarter of a study of Samuel, and uh, we're going to be in chapters 11 and 12. So if you brought a Bible, you can turn there. It'll be on the screens a little later. But uh, what an incredible time in the Word I had this week, and I'm excited to share with you what God's been teaching me. So if you're visiting, welcome. If you're watching on the Internet, we're glad to have you watching with us. Grab your Bible and and uh, hopefully we can encourage you. Uh, I want you to open your worship guides, though, for the rest of you all, because I want to highlight a few things. Uh, for those of you who have been visiting Carpenter's Way, uh, we have our next, uh, well, it's our membership class. Uh, what we do, to become a member of Carpenter's Way, what you do is, well, you have to attend, but then uh, we have a membership class once a quarter, and the next one is coming up on March 18th. Starts at 9.30 on Sunday and goes till about 11.45, so it kind of runs parallel to our morning services. We have children's ministries for those of you who have children. Uh, and you'll meet all the staff and, and the elders, and it gives you a chance to hear about why we do what we do and why we don't do what we don't do. How was that, Rocky? Is that better than last week? <laughs> last week, apparently, I said, you'll learn why we do what we don't do. So I, I don't know. I just told him that if I spoke for a living, it would be much easier so um, there, there's lots of stuff going on, men's Bible studies, women's Bible studies, young adult Bible studies, young married Bible studies. All that information is in the worship guide. Uh, there are a couple things, however, that we'd like to highlight this morning. Did you want to make an announcement? Come on. Casey, one of our leaders of our children's ministry, is going to come up. You may call her Trisha if you'd like. She loves being called by her mother's name. She's going to sing for you first. Then she's going to make an announcement. Thank you, Pastor Mike. Um, so if you will look in your worship guide, I'm actually going to give you a gift. There's a little bit of sunshine in there. So if you'll see, there's a yellow card. So everybody pull it out for me. But um, actually, before I show you this, I was thinking, I was telling my husband um, the other day, that's him up there. Anyway, that uh, one of my descriptions is preschool volunteer coordinator, but I was like, I'm not getting a lot of eye contact with a title like that. So I'm thinking I want to change that to like crown of jewels administrator. So you come see me and I will ensure that I will give you lots of jewels for your crown that you can throw at the feet of Jesus. So, um, <laughs> so anyway, if you'll take a look at this though, what we're needing, we're just needing to fill in some gaps in our children's ministry. We have several different areas and programs where we need volunteers, and we really try to keep it on a rotation, and we're really blessed here to have so many people that are willing to work and step up and, and be involved, but, um, well, we would like to be blessed more, so um, if you would um, just take a look at this and just consider it. We have some, some different places that we can have you uh, step in, and, and it's on a rotation, so it's like every six weeks in a lot of our, our areas, 
And then also, like, at our Bible study at, at 11 o'clock area, we, we're trying to work on making rotations for that, too, because we really want you to be able to stay connected, to be um, involved, whether it's here in the worship center or, you know, during worship time or in a Bible study. So um, the more workers we have, then, you know, the left off, less often you feel like you're, we don't want people to just feel stuck back there and we're overworking the same people. So, um, so anyway, just consider this. Um, we just, we, our policy is we want to have two to a room, uh, workers, and we, we're fortunate to have lots of teen volunteers, but we're really needing some more adults so that we're making sure we do have adult, an adult in all of our uh, rooms. Let me make sure. And there's no teaching involved in this. Just making sure I'm covering everything. Some people have asked that. There, this is just, we want extra set of eyes, extra set of hands, so that um, you're helping the, the main staffer or teacher that's in the room. They're the ones that set everything. This is not like you've got to plan anything. It's just coming and um, loving on the kids and, well, you know, giving them Jesus. Um, I mean, it's just, it's, it's really pretty simple. So um, let me make sure I'm saying everything. Oh, if you'll fill this out and I'll contact you and make sure that you have the, the appropriate paperwork. We'll have to, we do have to get a background check um, and things like that. So anyway, hopefully that's, I think that's everything. I don't think I was missing anything else. Thank you. Thank you. You know, uh, two things come to mind. Number one, to be on staff at Carpenter's Way, you've got to be quick, and you've got to be able to slam the pastor. Uh, so I just want to make it clear that you never stand up against God's anointed. That's way out of context, but I've never used it before, and it does feel pretty good. So, But, I, I you know, uh, Alicia and I were talking this week, and she shared with me that we have, like, 272 positions for children's discipleship that have to be feel, filled. That's not including high school and junior high. That's an incredible, and, and what's incredible is, is that most of those are filled. Uh, we, we are, um, our focus, and this may help some of you who are visiting or watching on the internet, our focus actually is discipleship at Carpenter's Way. We want to get you in the Word. We're going through the Word together. Uh, it's not that we're putting off evangelism, but we really believe that it's our responsibility to make disciples of all people, especially those part of our church family. And we pour a lot of time, money, and effort into our children's ministries. By the time they go into high school, it is our goal. Now, whether or not we achieve that regularly, by the time they go into the junior high student ministry, it is our hope that every kid has gone through the Bible, uh, at, least, at least skimmed it. Uh, the Word of God is, is, is our central focus. I mentioned last year, last week, Sola Scriptura. It is the Word of God is our final authority for truth, for living, for our relationship with God, introducing us to who God is. And so we try to do that. That's what we do. And uh, what's cool, though, is and, and what Casey just said is, is really important. Not everybody's a teacher. We have kid hugger positions. And, and, and as the world has gotten weirder, we have had to get more serious about administrating, as you understand, with the church this size with security and different things. So each person goes through a background check. That offends some. Uh, if it offends you, we've got other positions that don't require that. But, but it is our goal and our prayer that all of you are involved in ministry at some level. And uh, we know that most of you are. And if you're not, we want you to join us. Uh, it's, uh, this is a group effort. Uh, and, uh, and so we appreciate our leadership. And it is a joke that every one of our coordinators makes at some point. How come young parents won't look at me anymore. That's because if you make eye contact, you're volunteering. Um, <laughs> uh, there is no retirement in the kingdom, so help our staff out. Help the kingdom out. Be involved in ministry. I know that some of these are like uh, substitute positions. It is just incredible when you realize we have 252 positions. In, in a service that usually Sunday morning we run around 500, 
So, I mean, that's incredible every week that there's that many positions to fill. And uh, so we want to encourage you to be involved uh, and, uh, and, and, and all that stuff. So uh, that does it for that. If you're visiting with us and you'd like to know more about Carpenter's Way, as soon as the service is over, I'll be up here with Julie, my wife, and we would love to shake your hand. If you've been visiting for a while and you don't go to a Bible study, that's where body life actually takes place. So we encourage you to get involved in those. I know that there's like, well, where do I do that? Come up, talk to us after, and we'll usher you or have somebody usher you to a Bible study. We'll tell you what we have available. But we're just really glad you're here. I'm going to ask at this time for our uh, ushers to come forward. We're going to prepare for our offering. Uh, and I will explain, as I always do, what that is. Uh, our offering uh, that we take each week supports the budget that annually we vote on as a church. That budget doesn't just involve electrical lights and, uh, and staff salaries. We actually combine our mission giving and our budgets. So we support, oh, there's probably 8,000 mission, uh, International Mission Board from the Southern Baptist Convention missionaries that we support. And then there's about 14 different individuals and organizations that we support individually as a church. Uh, our giving to missions last year went from about 11% of our giving to, I think it's right now like 16% of our giving uh, that goes directly to missions. And so that's what you're giving. Having said that, I want to encourage Carpenter's Way, be faithful in your giving. It's to the Lord, and that's part of our worship, so be faithful. And to those of you who are visiting, don't give. This is not your, this is the one thing that we do as a family. We don't want you distracted by money. We're just glad you're here. Lots of good organizations you can give to. When God calls you into our family, if that's his plan for you, you'll participate in that. But for now, we don't want you distracted by money. We're just really glad you're here this morning. So we're going to turn our face away from the business of church into the worship of the king of the church. And uh, let's do that. Father, we love you. And Lord Jesus, this week, uh, a good friend went home. Uh, we thank you for the life of Billy Graham and Ruth Bell Graham and the kids, Father, that faithfully serve you and Samaritan's Purse and the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. We thank you for all they're doing. And we're thankful, Father, that it is your Holy Spirit that works through fallen and broken men. We thank you for your grace and your mercy. And, Father, I pray that as we remember this man, that we would mostly remember his God that inhabits us, that allows us to do ministry and care for those in need, spiritually need, financial, physical need. And may we be up to the task of meeting those needs. Lord Jesus, I thank you that we can gather each week uh, on Sundays and Wednesdays in this place and just, just worship you and, and get, to, get together and hug each other and encourage each other. I thank you for those that are this morning right now that are working with children. And that can be tiring, Father. It can be exhausting. We pray you would, you would uh, Father, encourage their hearts. And, Lord, as we turn our face back to you to worship, as we worship through our giving, as we worship through song, as we worship uh, in, in our time in the Word, it is our prayer, Father, that you will meet with us that you will change us from the inside out and make us more like your son. We do love you, Jesus. In your holy name we pray, amen.
For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transformed us into the kingdom of his dear son, who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. I know what it's like to try to earn his love. I know what it's like to feel you're not enough. Running from the sin that you can't hide and the guilt you feel. 
trying to sleep at night. He came and found me at my very word. He gave me life that I did not deserve. And I am forgiven now by His good grace. Because of His mercy, I'll never be the same. Blessed assurance of 
are dismissed. I'm going to try some. I want you to sing this one more time because we need to remember this this morning. We are not Democrats and Republicans, liberal and conservative, feminist and sexists. We are the children of God. And that is our story. That's our story. When we were accepted Christ as our Savior, we were then crucified with Christ and our identity became Christ. If your identity is your sin or your, or, or, or your political uh, agenda, then you will die as, that, as your identity.
but it is Jesus Christ that is our identity. And that, that connects us, whether we're socialist or conservative. That connects us. That's our hope. Can we sing this one more time? This is my story. This is my song. on the news this week, when you turn on the news this week and something ticks you off because you don't like the president or you don't, like, you don't like the people on the other side of the aisle or you're offended because of sexism or whatever's going on, you remember this is your story. Right. Satan wants to divide the church just like he wants to divide this country. And we are the answer. The, Jesus Christ through us is the answer to this country's problem. Yes, Jesus Christ through us is the answer to our community's problem. It is not a better politic. It is the people of God living out their story every moment of every day. Would you put the picture up there for me, Kevin, please? You know who this is. As you know, he went to be with the Lord Jesus this past Wednesday morning, Billy Graham. He had lived 99 years, and historians were saying this week that he preached the gospel to over 215 million people in at least 88 different countries. It is said that he prayed with every president since Dwight Eisenhower. Pretty crazy. That's a lot of ministry. I heard one commentator, though, say this week that this man was so faithful that he avoided controversy his whole ministry because of the care he took to intentionally live above reproach. And some of you know some of the stories. If you read, if you read about him or his book, he talks about having a secretary. But the truth is that's only true if you look at his moral purity and living above reproach. Because there were many within the evangelical church that didn't like Billy Graham. In fact, I remember in 1977, when I was 11 years old, I remember when Billy Graham and his conference came to San Diego, California. And I remember, uh, and my brother and I were talking about that this week, Tim LaHaye was my pastor. You know him from the Left Behind series. If you're my age, you remember him from the Revelation studies that he did. But he refused to allow the church leadership to participate in the Billy Graham conference because Billy Graham allowed people of the other political party, people who didn't believe the same about salvation, and in fact, Catholics, to sit on the stage with him. His agenda was to bring as many people as he could into the kingdom. And so he would allow people that he didn't agree with or didn't agree with him to actually sit on the stage. And that became controversy with people like Tim LaHaye and Jerry Falwell. They didn't like that. Billy Graham was openly criticized by these people. In the life of Billy Graham, it is told that he became close personal friends with Pope John Paul and Mother Teresa. And that angered others in the evangelical church, even questioning his commitment to the gospel. Dr. Graham's message, though, was one simple message. And that became a problem for some of us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him won't perish but have eternal life. That was the crux of every message this man ever preached. And it would be said that Dr. Billy Graham was on message for nearly every minute of his 85 years of ministry. He was on message and people who were not. Some of us who were thinking other things about politics and morality or had other, had other agendas for our country did not appreciate 
fact that he did not stand with them on certain things. Now, let me tell you that the more we get away from his death last Wednesday, the more you're hearing about some of the things he said. Even at times, and even at times, Billy Graham ended up being, having to apologize for things he did specifically with Nixon, who became his good friend. We honor him this morning for being faithful to the most important message, though, to anyone who would ever listen, and that is salvation is through faith alone, in Christ alone. And everywhere he went, and to anyone he could tell this simple message to, he would say, though you are a sinner, though you are a sinner, and that sin separates you from God, God sent his son to die on the cross for your sin, and no matter what your sin is or how egregious, you are invited to be part of the family of God through the blood of Jesus Christ. It's ironic to me that there is no one in the evangelical church I'm having problems with my mic, so I'll change. Okay. It's ironic to me that there's nobody in the evangelical church today that would disagree with that message. But somehow through the years, we have taught in a way, and this is where I want to pivot to what we're going to talk about today. There is an underlying message that is kind of said, but is definitely caught, that Jesus loves the, the lost more than he loves the saved. He is much more gracious to you the day you get saved than the month or the year or five years after you get saved as you struggle with sin in your flesh. And this morning's text is a really good text. In fact, it is an amazing, mind-blowing story. This week, I had the best time in study, and I, 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 I'm afraid you're getting sick of hearing that, but I, I, just, I just have been so excited. I woke up at 5.15 this morning ready to preach because I want to share with you what I saw in this Scripture, and I am asking you to stick with me to the end because I want you, Christian, to know, my fallen brother or sister, I want you to know, you who feel that although you're saved and confident in your eternity, I want you to know that God has not shelved you. He's not standing back with his arms crossed just waiting for you to blow up so he can go, I told you so. That's not his position. And you're going to see that in this morning's text. So let's pray together. I'm going to ask you to take a second and pray for me because when I have messages that are super personal for me, I have a tendency to overheat and miss the message. <laughs> so would you pray for me that I speak clearly? Will you pray for me that I speak God's truth, not my own? Now will you pray for the people around you that their ears, their heart would be opened. Pray that your ears will be open to the Holy Spirit's teaching. In Jesus' name, amen. 1 Samuel 10, 24 to 26, uh, chapter 10 ends this way. Then Samuel said to all the people, the Jewish people, this is the man the Lord has chosen as your king. No one in all of Israel is like him. And all the people shouted, long live the king. Then Samuel told the people what the rights and duties of a king were. He wrote them down on a scroll and placed it before the Lord. Then Samuel sent the people home again. God allowed the Jews, and this is very, very important that you get this concept. God allowed the Jews, despite warning them, despite warning them of the cost of this, God allowed them to have what they wanted over what he wanted for them. They wanted a human king like every other nation. They wanted to be like everyone else. When God chose them as a divine calling for a unique place in history, they were to be the people that proclaimed God to the world through their nation. 
that as God blessed them, the nations of the world would wonder how they're being blessed and why they're being blessed. That the people would ask, why would you choose them? And in doing that, the people would be able to tell of Jehovah God. And people would run to them. In the Old Covenant, in the Mosaic Covenant, God had actually established a way for non-Jews to become Jews. They could be alienated into the nation. And there was even a place for them to worship in the courtyard. But the Jews didn't want to be special. They wanted to be like everyone else. They wanted to be a nor- have the normal human experience, which God had redeemed them out of. And having a human fallen-centered king was a big part of that for these people. So God gave them what they wanted. Remember last week's message was, be careful what you ask for. If you ignore God and keep asking for it, he may give it to you. And, and, and we talked about this is what that looks like, the nation of Israel. And God gives them the best of the nation, Saul. Verse 24, when Saul returned to his home at Gibeth, a group of men whose hearts God had touched went with him. And, and I, I know this is a boring verse. I know this is a readover verse just telling you what's going on. But who is like our God? Not only does he give them a king that he doesn't want them to have when he wants the job, but then he turns around and gives that king protection. Who is like our God? Can we please just take a moment like we rarely do and think on this God that has just put a human king in place for the Jews that he didn't want them to have, and then he protects that king. Would you do that? You know, when our kids do something we, we specifically tell them not to do, We then stand back and wait for it to blow up so we can jump in and say, see, you should have listened to me in the first place. God didn't do that here. God actually selected that most handsome and tallest guy in the nation, and and then he lets them pretend like they're picking him. And then at the end of the day, he says, he's the greatest of all, knowing that this king is a fallen man. And then he sends a people to protect him. I just don't know anybody but our God who would do that after being rejected. He is told by these people, we don't want you. And God actually helps them find his own replacement. I guess God meant it when he said to the Jews in Deuteronomy 31.8 that he would not fail them and he would never abandon them. The same promise he's made to us. He will never abandon them. Let's be real. God made this Mosaic and Abrahamic commitment to these people knowing how they would treat him. He knew exactly what they would do. These people did not deserve mercy and grace, and God has already showed it to them. But isn't that the nature of mercy and grace, getting something you don't deserve and getting things you don't deserve? I know some of you thought I misspoke, but I didn't. You see, mercy is not getting what you deserve, and grace is getting what you don't deserve. Mercy is God not sending fire from heaven to lick these people up like water. Grace is actually blessing them beyond their wildest dreams. Mercy is the fact that we can gather here in this morning, fearing everything in life, from North Korea to the government of this country, to our taxes, everything but God's judgment. That's mercy. Grace is that God actually walks with us through life. We don't deserve it and promises us an inheritance that nobody can take away from us. This story that we're reading throughout the Old Testament, it's grace and mercy and love, real life, like none of us have ever experienced, not from our parents, not from our spouses, not from our children. It's a love that none of us could even give. It's unconditional. It's absolutely without condition. Back to our story in chapter 10, verse 27. There were some scoundrels, though, who complained about Saul. How can this man, Saul, save us? 
And they scorned him and refused to bring him gifts. But Saul ignored them. Nahash, here we go, king of the Ammonites, had been grievously oppressed, had been grievously oppressing the people of Gad and Reuben, who lived east of the Jordan River. He gouged out the right eye of each of the Israelites living there, and he didn't allow anyone to come and rescue them. In fact, of all the Israelites east of the Jordan, there wasn't a single one whose right eye, Nahash, had not gouged out. But there were 7,000 men who had escaped from the Ammonites, and they had settled in Jabesh-Gilead. About a month later, King Nahash of Ammon led his army against the Israelite town of Jabesh-Gilead. But all the citizens of Jabesh asked for peace. Make a treaty with us, and we'll be your servants, they pleaded. I just want to pause and, and point out that these people learned nothing from the Philistine Wars. Nothing. They don't turn to God here. Don't just notice what these people do do. Notice what they don't do. They don't run to God. They don't even run to Saul. These people who were just given a king don't even run to their own king. Basically, what they're saying is, we'll replace our new king with you. You just go ahead and take over. Just make peace with us. Let us live, and we'll, we'll be your servants. So they're going to become the lowest form of life in Nahash's kingdom. Again, breaking yet another of the Mosaic laws. Don't ever make peace with your enemies. Make peace with me, and I'll take care of your enemies. They had learned nothing. So they attempt to make peace with their enemies. Verse 2, it's 1 Samuel 11. All right, Nahash said, but only on one condition. I will gouge out the right eye of every one of you as a disgrace to all of Israel. <laughs> There's a bunch of one-eyed people running around. Do you know what those people are called? Hebrews. Because they're making peace with the enemies of God in Israel. And he does it to disgrace them. Give us seven days to send messengers throughout Israel, replied the elders of Jabesh. If no one comes to save us, we will agree to your terms. If no one comes to save us in that statement, they mean anyone but God, because they're going to ask everybody for help but God. And how about Nahash? What kind of crazy is he? He lets them have seven days to build an army, but of course, he now knows the Jews. Why should he fear him? You go ahead and take your seven days. Because in that seven days, when they turn up with no army to fight for them, he knows that they'll just lay down and say, hey, can we drink first before you gouge our eyes out? These people are begging for peace with this guy, no matter what he asks for, no matter what he does to them. Verse 4, when the messengers came to Gibbeth of Saul and told the people, please notice that they don't go to Saul. They don't even, they don't even think about Saul. So they not only don't think about God, they don't think about the king. You want to know what kind of king they expected a man to be? He was just a figurehead, just a title. They didn't even think to go to him. They told the people about their plight. Everyone broke into tears. Do you know why they broke into tears? Because nobody's going to fight. Oh, well, here we are, poor Jews. We're all going to lose our eyes. Saul had been plowing in the field with his oxen, and when he returned to town for a drink, I added that, he asked, what's the matter? Why is everybody crying? So they told him about the message from Jabesh. Isn't it interesting that they don't even send a runner out to tell him as he's farming? You want to know what position their new king held? This answers that. None. They don't even think of him. Verse 6, then God shows up. Then the Spirit of the Lord came, of God came powerfully upon Saul. 
and he became very angry. He took two oxen and he cut them into pieces and sent the messengers to carry them throughout Israel with his message. This is what will happen to the oxen of anyone who refuses to follow Saul and Samuel into battle. And the Lord made the people afraid of Saul's anger. Now we have him showing up in the people's hearts. And all of them came together as one. When Saul mobilized them at Bezek, he found that there were 300,000 men from Israel and 30,000 men from Judah. So Saul sent the messengers back to Jabesh Gilead to say, we will rescue you by noontime tomorrow. And there was great joy throughout the town when this message arrived. I bet there was. We get to keep our eye. We get to keep our eye. Then the men of Jabesh then told their enemies, hey, tomorrow we will come out to you and you can do to us whatever you wish. But before dawn the next morning, Saul arrived, having divided his army into three detachments. He launched a surprise attack against the Ammonites and slaughtered them the whole morning. The remnant of their army was so badly scattered that no two of them were left together. Then people explained. Then the people exclaimed to Samuel, now, where are those men who said, why should Saul rule over this? Bring, a, bring him here, and we will kill him. Again, context. What the people are doing is they're giving Saul credit for winning the battle. They don't think of the Lord. He's not even in their mind anymore. He's a festival host. Maybe a sacrificial host, but he's certainly not in their thinking. How do I know that? Because the reason they're going to kill these people is as a gift to Saul. Oh, Saul, we love you so much. We're going to kill anybody who speaks against you. In case you're not clear, these people have God completely out of the spectrum of their thinking. They've completely rejected him. But Saul replied in verse 13, No one will be executed today, for the Lord has rescued Israel. In other words, Saul does one thing right. He says, this wasn't about me today. This was about the Lord. Then Samuel said to the people, Come, let us go to Gilgal to renew the kingdom. So they all went to Gilgal. And in a solemn ceremony before the Lord, they made Saul king. Yet again, this is his third coronation. Okay, this time we really, really, really mean it. Remember, Saul had a private coronation with Samuel. Then he has a public coronation, and then he sends them all home. And then Saul goes home, and he starts farming again. Why? Because it wasn't real. Now they go, oh, we have a king that will win in battle. So now we're going to come together, and we're going to coronate him. So, verse 15. So they all went to Gilgal, and in a solemn ceremony before the Lord, they made Saul king. Then they offered peace offerings to the Lord, and Saul and the Israelites were filled with joy. And what a party that must have been. We get to keep our eye. We get to keep our eye. And this is where pirates came from. Because for the rest of their lives, there are tens and thousands of Jews who didn't walk with God who are not only circumcised now, but all the way their head marks them because they're missing an eye because they didn't think to go to God. And this is a party. And as I was thinking this week, all that came to my mind is the Bill Cosby show where Mrs. Cosby is out of town and he's taking care of the kids and he's feeding them and she comes home and the kids are so excited about how much fun they've had with dad and they're even singing songs dad is great gives us the chocolate cake remember that they're celebrating why because daddy gave them chocolate cake for breakfast who wouldn't celebrate that and these people are celebrating god because saul said he won the battle and they're not going to lose their eyes and why wouldn't we celebrate because everybody loves god when he wins wars for us Everybody loves God when he wins our battles. But what about 
when there's only 9,000 of us and 100,000 of them? Do we still worship him? They didn't. They said, even though we lose, give us a man. That's fine, God. We'd rather have a guy. So Samuel speaks. And this chapter, I'm sure that many of you are familiar with it, but it's one of those weird Old Testament stories that just doesn't dig into our souls. And this morning, I want you to see it for what it is. And I want it to blow your mind like it blew mine. I want you to find hope in it because it's hopeful. Then Samuel addressed all of Israel. I have done as you have asked and given you a king. Your king is now your leader. I stand here before you, an old gray-haired man, and my sons serve you. I have served as your leader from the time I was a boy to this very day. Now testify against me in the presence of the Lord and before his anointed one. Whose ox or donkey have I stolen? Have I ever cheated any of you? Have I ever pressed you? Have I ever taken a bribe and perverted justice? Tell me and I'll make it right, whatever I have done wrong. No, they replied. You have never cheated or oppressed us, and you have never taken even a single bribe. The Lord and his anointed one are my witnesses today, Samuel declared, that my hands are clean. Yes, he is my witness, they re- uh, he, uh, he is a witness, they replied. Pay attention. It's going to get crazy. It was the Lord who appointed Moses and Aaron, Samuel continued. He brought your ancestors out of the land of Egypt. And, and would you do me a favor this morning and not listen to this like Scripture? Would you just... In your mind's eye, picture what he's saying. If you need to read the screen, fine. Look at the ground. But I want you to picture the scene where it's most likely Samuel with Saul standing near him. And the the elders of each of the 12 tribes are probably around him, and he's saying these things. It was the Lord who appointed Moses and Aaron. Samuel continued, and you can see them shaking their heads. He brought your ancestors out of the land of Egypt. Now stand here quietly before the Lord as I remind you of all the great things the Lord has done for you and for your ancestors. When the Israelites were in Egypt and cried out to the Lord, he sent Moses and Aaron to rescue them from Egypt and to bring them into this land. And they're all going, yes, amen. But the people soon forgot about the Lord their God. So he handed them over to uh, to Sisera, the commander of the Hazar's army, and also to the Philistines and to the king of Moab who fought against them. Verse 10. Then they cried to the Lord again and confessed. We have sinned by turning away from the Lord and worshiping the images of Baal and the Ashtoreth. But we will worship you and you alone if you rescue us from our enemies. Then the Lord sent Gideon, Baden, Japhethah, and Samuel to save you. And you lived in safety. But when you were afraid of Nahash, the king of Ammon, you came to me and said that you wanted a king to reign over you. Oh, now we know a little bit more. What did we just learn? That Nahash was already hassling them when they asked for not God to protect them, but the king. Now when they're in the middle of the conversation with God, we find out that they're rejecting him in the face of problems. I've got to remember what verse I'm in. Really important verse. Verse 12. Thank you. But when you were afraid of Nahash, the king of Ammon, you came to me and said you wanted a king to reign over you, even though the Lord your God was already your king. All right. Here's the king you have chosen. You asked for him, and the Lord has granted your request. Here we go. Buckle up. Now, if you fear the Lord and worship the Lord and listen to his voice, and if you do not rebel against the Lord's command, then both you and your king will show that you recognize the Lord as your God. But if you rebel against the Lord's command and refuse to listen to him, then his hand will be as heavy upon you as it was upon your ancestors. Verse 16. 
Now stand here and see the great thing the Lord is about to do. You will know it that at this time, it doesn't rain this time of the year during the wheat harvest. I will ask the Lord to send thunder and rain today. Then you will realize how wicked you have been in asking the Lord for a king. So Samuel called to the Lord, and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day. And all the people were terrified of the Lord and of Samuel. Pray to the Lord your God. The Lord. What's it say? Your God. What? He's, excuse me. Before I pray to the Lord, my God, is he not your God? No, no, he's not our God. That's our God. His name is Saul. Pray to the Lord your God first, or we will die, they all said to Samuel. For now we have added to our sins by asking for a king. Terrified. As they should have been. Right? Watch this. Verse 20. Don't be afraid, Samuel reassured them. You have certainly done wrong. But make sure now that you worship the Lord with all your heart and don't turn your back on Him. Don't go back to worshiping worthless idols that cannot help or rescue you. They're totally useless. Look at the blind people. I added that. The Lord will not abandon His people because that would dishonor His great name. For it has pleased the Lord to make you His very own people. He likes you. Even after all you've done, He likes you. He's not going to abandon you. Don't be afraid. Verse 23, as for me, I will certainly not send the Lord, uh, sin against the Lord by ending my prayers for you. And I will continue to teach you what is good and right. Be sure to fear the Lord and faithfully serve Him. Think of all the wonderful things He has done for you. But if you continue to sin, you and your king will be swept away. Who is this God who created the universe in a word? who out of the dust of the ground made humanity, who leaned down and put dirt on his face so he could breathe life into these people, who absolutely reject him in the garden and his instructions, who says, I know you've screwed it all up, but please let me be your God. Please. Come on. Just let me do it. Give me one more shot. After giving them a hundred, who is this God? Who's better than even fake gods? Who can make up a story like this? This is a dumb story. You and I would be going, they got what they deserve. But God doesn't say that. God doesn't once say, you got what you deserve. God says, I want to give you what you don't deserve. I will never leave you. Why would you do that? Because I chose you, because it made me happy to choose you. Knowing full well that they would reject him. And then even warns them, if you continue down this path of sin, Jews, you will end up not being. You'll be destroyed. And you know what's crazy? 400 years after this conversation, Isaiah, the prophet, speaks on behalf of God. And he says this to them, dear family of Jacob, this is the Lord speaking through him. You refuse to ask for my help. You have grown tired of me, O Israel. This is 400 years later. This is after he just pleaded with them for the hundredth time to let him lead them. Now we're 400 years later. So we got great, 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 great grandkids. You have grown tired of me, O Israel. You have not brought me sheep or goats or burnt offerings. You have not honored me with sacrifices, though I have not burdened you or, or, or wearied you with requests for grain offerings and frankincense. 
You have not brought me fragrant calamus or pleased me with the fat from sacrifices. Instead, you have burdened me with your sins and wearied me with your faults. I, yes, I alone will blot out your sins for my own sake and will never think of them again. Let us renew the situation together, review, and you can present your case to prove your innocence. From the very beginning, your first ancestors sinned against me. All your leaders broke my laws. That is why I have disgraced your priests. I have decreed complete destruction for Jacob and shame for Israel. But now listen to me, Jacob, my servant. Israel, my chosen one. Sounds like a loving mother. How could you do this to me? I love you. The Lord who made you helps you says this, Don't be afraid, O Jacob, my servant. O dear Israel, my chosen one, for I will pour out water to quench your thirst, and I will irrigate your, irrigate your parched fields, and I will pour out my spirit on your descendants and my blessing on your children. They will thrive like watered grass, like willows on the riverbank. Some will proudly claim, I belong to the Lord. Others will say, I am a descendant of Jacob. Some will write the Lord's name on their hands, and I will make, take the name of Israel as their own. This is what the Lord says. Israel's king and redeemer, the Lord of heaven's armies. I am the first and the last. There is no other God who is like me. Let him step forward and prove to you his power. Let him do as I have done since ancient times. When I established a people and, and explained its future, do not tremble, do not be afraid. Did I not proclaim my purposes for you long ago? You are my witnesses. Is there any other God? No, there's no rock, no other rock, not one. I want to pause, take a deep breath, because I know this is a large section of Scripture. But do you realize what God is doing? He is begging them to let him lead them. He's begging. Would any of us beg our children after the 15th time of, re of rejection of us? God would. Our creator, the creator of the universe that can stop this with a thought. One of the great old preachers in this country wrote a message called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And the whole premise of that is not God's wrath, but that like a spider, he uses a spider on a web as an illustration. It says God is like that spy, a man holding a spider over a fire by the web, and he refuses to let go. And his premise is it takes more energy for God not to destroy us, which is what we deserve, than to redeem us. God of the universe is actually pleading with these half-blind people to let them be led. I'm the first and the last. There's no God like me. Verse 12, I'm going to jump down there. The blacksmith stands at the forge to make a sharp tool, pounding and shaping it with all his might. His work makes him hungry and weak, makes him thirsty and faint. Verse 13, then the woodcarver measures a block of wood and draws a pattern on it. He works with a chisel and plane and carves it into a human figure. He gives it human beauty and puts it in a little shrine. <laughs> In case you're not sure of what he's doing, he's explaining the process of making a god. This is what people do. He cuts down cedars, cedars. He selects the cypress and the oak. He plants the pine in the forest to be nurtured by the rain. Then he uses part of the wood to make a fire. With it, he warms himself, and he bakes his bread. Yet then, yes, it's true, he makes the, uh, the, takes the rest of it and makes himself a god to worship. He makes an idol and bows down in front of it. He burns part of the tree to roast his meal and to keep himself warm. He says, ah, oh, that fire feels good. Then he takes what's left and makes his God a carved idol. God just said, you don't even use the best of the wood. You first serve yourself, even with your fake gods. Then he falls down in front of it, worshiping and praying into it. Rescue me, he says, you are my God. 
such stupidity and ignorance. Those are the words of Jehovah. Are they not accurate? Seriously. Think about how stupid that is. That's like taking, I don't know, that piano, breaking it down, making a small icon that big, putting it up here and asking you to bring rice next week. That is our God. We shall worship it. How stupid is that? Unless somebody comes and steals it, then we'll create a new one. It's as stupid as the Jews at the base of Mount Sinai taking off their gold earrings, throwing in the fire and air and going, oh, it turned into a cow. What are these people doing? Such stupidity and ignorance. Their eyes are closed and they cannot see. Their minds are shut and they cannot think. The person who made the idol never stops to reflect. Why, it's just a block of wood. I burned half of it for heat and used it to bake my bread and roast my meat. How can the rest of it become a god? Should I bow to worship a piece of wood? The poor, deluded fool feeds on ashes. He trusts something that can't help him at all, yet he cannot bring himself to ask, is this idol that I'm holding in my hand a lie? Listen, pay attention, O Jacob, for you are my servant, O Israel. I, the Lord, made you, and I will not forget you. I have swept away your sins like a cloud. I have scattered your offenses like the morning mist. Oh, return to me, for I have paid the price to set you free. Who is this God? He's not just some guy who died on the cross who stands back open for anybody to walk to him. He's actually standing next to you right now going, I'm here. Why are you not paying attention to me? And how's that working for you? Who is this God that chases his children when they don't want him? No man, I will say it again, has ever thought up a God as gracious and loving, forgiving and merciful, merciful as our people-chasing God. Please understand this. God is saying to these people, even though you have rejected me over and over, let me put it into graphic terms. Even though you've been married 32 times, and every one of them is the result of adultery you committed. Every one of those. And right now, you're married to somebody who's number 33, and they were your last adultery. All you and your new spouse have to do is follow me, and I will walk with you. What? I remember when I was a kid growing up in the church, I had to go back and unwrap all my sins. And that's not what God is saying. He doesn't say take Saul out and burn him or quarter him. He doesn't say cut one of his eyes out. He says, all I'm asking from you, Israel, all I'm asking from you, Hebrews, is just turn your heart to me and I will walk with both of you. Your new spouse that took my place, do you realize that God is the jilted lover in the story? He's the king that was fired and replaced with that yahoo. And God is saying, look, if you now recognize me as God, I will walk with you too. And I will protect you, you and my replacement. Who is this God? If you don't do that, you will destroy yourself. But I'm begging you to let me keep you from that. And 400 years later in Isaiah, he begs them yet again. Listen, there has been an attitude in the church that God feels more gracious and merciful to the sinner at the moment of their salvation. But this stands in the face of that. 
we sing just as I am, but we really mean it before salvation. We don't mean it after salvation. God wants you to come to him fixed, we say. And the scripture says, come as you are. And this morning, if you are not a child of God, run to him. But I really want to talk to the child of God who's committed adultery or who is struggling or not struggling with same-sex attraction or those of you who have a problem with drinking or don't have a problem with drinking. Those of you who are just glad you're going to heaven because you prayed a prayer at six, but you've never grown beyond that and you think you're useless because the church looks down at you. I'm here to tell you that God wants to use you. He wants to walk with you, even with your bottle in your hand. He will remove that bottle from you. This is not a moral message. It is a message for redemption of immoral people. And no matter how hard you've rejected, and there is a large portion of the evangelical church that says you can't lose your salvation, but if you look at God in heaven and you flip him the bird and say, I want nothing to do with you, he will walk away from you. And this passage stands in the face of that lie. He will stand behind you and next to you and around you while you self-destruct. He will watch you replace him with an affair. He will watch you replace him with alcohol and drugs. He will watch you replace him with self-righteousness and arrogance and political anger. He will watch you replace him. And one day he will whisper in your ear, are you done with your idol yet? And I'm not even asking you to change your idol. I'm asking you to look at me and I will walk with you and your idol and we will remove it at the right time because that's our God. The amazing part of this story is God never leaves them. We know how it ends. This is going to go off for many, many years. The Jews will continue to reject him. They will not confess their sins and turn. Until they have to, they will be surrounded in the valley of Megiddo by the armies of the world. And at that point, realizing they are about to be obliterated, they will cry out to God, we're sorry, we sinned against you. And a parent would go, yeah, now you're calling out to me. Fix it, then I'll come meet with you. But our God gets on his white horse, rides from heaven, defeats their enemies, takes the throne of Israel, and for a thousand years reigns with them. Why? Because he loves them. And he loves you. I was sent here for one reason 12 years ago, and that is to tell you that you may be the, the worst Baptist ever. You could be a lousy Assembly of God member. You may never have spoken in tongues, or you may speak in tongues every day, but that doesn't make you spiritual. What makes you spiritual is the presence of a living God in you. You could have committed a, a, adultery. You might be guilty of abortion, and I am telling you that while the church may resent you, the God of the church never will. He's pleading with you today. Let me rule you. Let me lead you. Let me heal you. And we keep saying, i got to fix this first, and that is a lie from hell. You can't fix this. You never could. You never will be able to. And when you get to a place of emptiness and brokenness, God will say, I never left you. While the church sits around and argues for the past 500 years, the perseverance of the saints, the scriptures teach us of perseverance of the Savior. He will always, always make you his because he chose you, because he wanted to choose you. If you are his child this morning, you are here not by your own wisdom and by your own creating, but because the God of the universe says you are my kid. I will never leave you or forsake you. And that isn't a truth for the lost. It's a truth for the found. I want you to watch a video that's really a bad video. Kevin, let's play that. And last of all, young people want a faith that they can believe. They need Jesus Christ. 
because without Jesus Christ there's an emptiness in your life the purpose and the meaning of life is not clear life makes no sense our lady came to see me tonight and she said you know I was hoping and praying when I came the other night that somebody would explain to me in simple language how I could find Christ and said you changed your subject and all you did that rainy night was to explain the way of salvation do you know how to be saved do you know how to go to heaven Christ has already done all the work on the cross he rose again he's alive willing to forgive you, willing to come into your heart and change you, willing to make you a new person. But what do you have to do? You have to, by faith, receive him. You have to be willing to repent of your sins and receive him as Savior. And if you're willing to do that, you'll have a faith to live by and a faith to die by and a flag to follow. Young people want a challenge. They want a flag to follow. They want some music to go by. I'll tell you, Christ can provide it all. You see, Jesus Christ has everything young people are talking about today. He's love, peace, discipline, self-denial, a challenge. He offers it all. He had it all. You put your faith and your confidence in him tonight, and he can change your life. I'm asking you tonight to follow him, to serve him. To let him come into your heart and forgive you of your past sins. To start you in a new direction. I'm asking you tonight to receive him as Lord and Savior. You may be a Methodist or a Baptist or a Presbyterian. You may be a, an Orthodox or Roman Catholic or Jewish. Or you may not have any religion. You might even be a deacon in the church or a Sunday school teacher. But you don't really know Christ for yourself. And tonight is the moment. You see, you can't come to Christ just any time you want to. You can only come when the Spirit of God draws you. And the Holy Spirit tonight is drawing you. The Holy Spirit is speaking to you. This is your moment, and it may never come again. And I'm going to ask hundreds of you to get up out of your seat right now and come and stand in front of this platform, and you say by coming, I do want forgiveness. I do want a new life. I do want to know I'm going to heaven. I want Christ in my heart. If you're with friends or relatives, they'll wait. Or if you've come in a bus, they'll wait. I'm going to ask you to come right now, quickly, hundreds of you. And after you come, what are we going to do? I'm going to say a word to you, have a prayer with you, give you some literature, and you can go back and join your friends. But you get up and come, as thousands have already come in this crusade. You come and join them. Young man, young woman, father, mother. If you start from that top balcony, it'll take you two or three minutes to come. So start now. We're going to wait. You just get up and come.
watching by television can see here in the Texas Stadium, where some 55,000 people are assembled, hundreds of people are coming down all of these aisles to make their commitment to Christ tonight. You can make your commitment where you are, at home, in a bar, in a hotel lobby, an airport. Just bow your head and say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. He will. God help you to make that commitment tonight. And be sure and go to church on Sunday. God bless you. <laughs> I like the last part. Maybe somebody in this room was there. This was in the 70s. Remember when you did that? Might have been a vacation Bible school and a church service during the 42 verses of that song. I just want to let you know he hasn't moved. I know you've been, you made a lot of choices. You may feel a long way away from him. But he will never abandon you. He hasn't abandoned you. The church may have, but he has not. You have not outsinned his mercy and his grace. And if he's going to plead with these people, he is pleading with us today. Let me in. Christian brother or sister, your identity is not your abortion. Your identity is not your sexual struggles. Your identity is not how many wives you've had or how many husbands you have. Your identity is Jesus Christ. Don't let the liar keep you from him. He loves you a lot by a whole new definition of love. There is no perseverance of any saint. There is perseverance of our Savior, though. Let's close in prayer. Father, we don't get you. Not because of your judgment and your wrath, but because of your love. It's hard for us to fathom that you wouldn't give up on us because we would give up on ourselves. Some of us have. So let us fix our eyes on you. I know some of you in this room are, are, are just numb spiritually because of choices you've made. And I want to challenge you to do something I actually said to the Lord about a month or two ago, and he's answered. Just tell him you need to hear from him again to, to make sure he's still there. Talk to your dad. Go ahead and admit what you're afraid to admit. Just tell him you know you've replaced him with other things and you want to put him back on that place. You have heard the prayers of your children, Father. Now I ask that you would answer them in supernatural, undeniable ways. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Bible study is going to start in about 10 minutes. Um, if you're visiting with us, I'd love to meet you. God bless you guys. Have a great Sunday.